Top 10 things to spend the money you saved on as a treat. Or things I think you should buy that are worth the money. Number 10, HBO Max or any TV subscription. Number nine, L'Oreal Mascara, as much as you want. Number eight, Pebble Ice Machine. Number seven, new notebook for no reason. You'll use it. Number six, pants that fit. Number five, whatever it takes to get free shipping. Number four, glasses that make you feel cute. Number three, printer ink. You only need it twice a year, but when you do, it's an emergency. Number two, name brand Advil. It's sugar coated. Number one, a therapist. Always worth the money. Welcome to The Lisa Show, where we take a good look at life. We're going to start off by talking to somebody who thinks about money all day and how they take care of themselves with that money. And then we're going to talk to a woman who self-admittedly never really thinks or worries about money, even if she only has $20 in her bank account and has just given birth to her sixth child. Like, we're going to get to that later. Let's dive in. I still remember, I will never forget the feeling of walking up the long driveway kind of parking lot of our condo to the mailbox and the fear of absolute dread of what I might find. What was in it? Is it a bill? Which one? How much will it be for? Like, these are things that I could have sat down and figured out and eventually did. Like, oh, this bill always comes on this day and it's always for this much or whatever. But at that time, it just felt like it was always changing in a different day and I couldn't keep track of it because I was so stressed around the idea of it. And I hate that feeling of being out of control. I have since learned how to budget a lot better. I know when all my bills are due, they surprise come at the same time each month. I know how to spend less than I earn, I, but I also make more money than I did then. Follow me for more financial tips. Just kidding. This is not a podcast about how to save money or how to budget so that all your dreams can come true. You know, there are lots of different ways to find it. This is having a realistic conversation about how you feel about money and how that affects how you take care of yourself or don't. Now, I was raised with the belief of just living with your means, right? Spend less than you earn and you'll never be stressed out. But stuff comes up, whether you have a good attitude or habit around money or not. Unexpected costs and medical emergencies, education, homes. And we all know that gas, eggs, milk, they're all really expensive now. Some of us saw that coming. Most of us didn't. So that doesn't leave a lot of financial room for most of us to spend on self-care. So how can we take care of our finances no matter what our circumstances are so we don't have that feeling of dread? There are certain questions that you're not supposed to ask people, you know, about religion um, and money, (laughs) like how much people make and what they think about their money. But It is so emotionally charged. I want to have some different conversations from someone who really knows and gets it. So I've invited my friend Kyle Bigler on to talk about finances and how you can use finances not only to take care of yourself and other people, but how it can be like a framework to do good as well. Welcome, Kyle. 
Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, you bet. I'm just curious, you personally, how do you take care of yourself, you know, your interests and your well-being, but also remain financially responsible? It's a really, really great question. Uh, for me, the first thought that came into my mind as far as taking care of myself is physically. Oh, right? yeah. If I'm taking care of myself physically, you know, exercise and proper amount of sleep and those types of things, mm-hmm. I just tend to be a much more pleasant person to be around. I tend to be slower to react. And so that's good. And interestingly, one of my favorite physical activities is a little bit expensive or at least can be a little bit expensive. I tend to ride my bike a lot and... Uh, Biking can be a little bit expensive, so there is a real right. balance with that. Isn't it the lighter the bike, the more expensive yes, it is? Or? exactly right. <laughs> I mean, the amount that you can pay for a bike is a little bit obscene. And you can kind of chase that and go down that path way too far, and suddenly you're out of balance. And so to me, just the idea of self-care or wellness or well-being mm-hmm really does involve a lot of balance. And finance really reaches into so many different areas of our life. Even something like exercise, because I have to have the proper equipment and that equipment can be relatively expensive. So for me, it really is a matter of just trying to find that balance and realizing that, uh, you know, maybe I don't need to pay X amount of money to shave half a pound <laughs> off the weight of my bike or like whatever, $12,000. Right? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I still get to the top of the hill about the same time as yeah. those guys do or whatever, right? So, yeah, to me, it's just really a matter of balancing things and realizing that finances really do impact so many areas of our life. And so because of that, it is a little bit of a, like a, a cornerstone element of our life because it doesn't just affect us monetarily. So... Yeah, for me, I try to just keep a balance and realize there's going to be other needs down the road or other areas where finances are going to come in down the road that I might not even be aware of right now. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't like to think like that, though. You know, they're like, oh, I don't want to be so stressed about money and have it rule my life. And especially when money's tight, I think it's really uh, easy to just to say, well, then I just won't think about it. Uh, What's your sort of take on that? Maybe from time to time you can take that mindset, but I feel like that mindset probably more often than not can lead to long-term troubles. You know, Mm -hmm. it's sort of like if I have, you know, a warning light on in my car and if I just go and take care of it, it's probably not going to be super expensive. But if I keep driving my car forever and just ignore it because I don't want to deal with that, I guess it just requires a little bit of forethought that, I'm probably hurting myself more in the long run by feeling like I'm helping myself right now. So oftentimes finances can be a little bit of an unpleasant conversation, particularly when things are tight. Uh, But what's the phrase that uh, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure or whatever the case may be? So oftentimes I think it's just a matter of realizing that, you know what, if I just put a little bit of effort on a day-to-day basis towards my finances. It doesn't mean you have to sacrifice everything or you can create your own little chart. Like for me, cycling is so important Mm -hmm. that I'm happy to sacrifice maybe a little bit more than I want to in other areas so that I can splurge a little bit in something that's really important to me. 
And it makes it a lot easier to be a little more disciplined in certain areas. If I really know, well, what is important to me and what's not, I'm happy to wear, you know, clothes for a long time, for example. Mm -hmm. That's not a big deal (laughs) to me. But, you know, my bike is probably going to be replaced every, you know, a little more regularly than it needs to be. And that's okay because that, again, goes back to that balance I was mentioning before. Yeah, and I'm really struck by that, that it seems like you're in a healthy place where it doesn't take over, that where your concern about your finances doesn't take over, you know, your entire life. Was, were you always like that? Was there a time where maybe you were not in balance? What was that like? There definitely have been times like that. You know, it's funny because when I was growing up, I don't know if this is totally true, but my parents tell me that almost daily, well, I should say nightly, before I went to bed, I would take my piggy bank and dump it out onto the Did bed you really? and <laughs> count it, you know, as if yeah. I was earning interest in the right, piggy right. bank or something, you know, the same Maybe from what, more yeah, exactly right. My parents probably did, like, you know, put in an extra quarter <laughs> just to make me think I had a magic piggy bank. But so it's always been, as far as I can remember, finances have, has been something that's intrigued me and mm-hmm. been interesting to me. But both my wife and I are self-employed. And so early on in our marriage and in our careers, there were definitely really, really lean times. And so fortunately, I'm married to someone who is really responsible financially as well. And so we both got really good at being fiscal, you know, like really being careful with how we spent our money. And as our careers progressed and we achieved a little more financial success, it was hard for me sometimes to let go of that because in my mind, I had built in this mindset that I don't want to say a scarcity mindset, but just that I didn't want to be back in that situation Mm -hmm. again where things were tight. And so that's still a little bit of a battle that I face on a regular basis is realizing that really money is just a tool. And it can be great to have an account balance at the bank or in your investment portfolio or whatever, but that shouldn't be the end goal, right? Money is there to be utilized to create experiences and memories and to be able to provide for things. And so that definitely has been something where, you know, from early in my marriage when I maybe was a little bit overly strict financially, out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, to really provide. Exactly right. And to make sure that we could make ends meet. But then not letting that get so ingrained that I continue to be that way. Because that's not healthy either, no, right? you just I mean, turn into a Scrooge McDuck and yeah. you're just swimming in gold coins. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. that guy. No, not at all. <laughs> It is funny that we, when you say you use it as a tool, uh, you know, it, it can be for our own well-being, for our family's well-being, and it can also be an opportunity to, you know, serve other people. And and I, you have, with your career, the opportunity to see a lot of people deal with their money, you know, and, and I'm sure you've seen a great range of of, you know, dollar amounts and different accounts and family situations and individual attitudes over all of your experience in in dealing with people, really, you know, people and their money. What have you learned? So I guess the first thing I've learned is you, you read these textbooks and in textbooks, they don't really focus on emotion, right? Everything sort of by the book, and it's just kind of mathematical and calculated and whatnot. And I have learned that that's really not how it works in the real world. In the real world, it's 
almost impossible, and I don't even think that it's necessary or maybe even the best thing to completely separate your emotions from your financial decisions. Emotions can be a really powerful tool. They need to be, you need to be self-aware. You need to understand when you're being overly emotional or whatnot. But ultimately, that's what I've learned more than anything is that the differences between people are driven oftentimes by both their sort of their own history, what they saw their parents doing growing up, what their experience was, kind of like I just mentioned when my wife and I were first married, you know. Those types of experiences can create emotions that sometimes you're not even conscious of, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, you have these attitudes that are so deeply embedded and you don't always know where they're coming from. Yeah. So if my wife suggests some sort of whether it's a trip or a project around the house. And my first thought is to figure out like the dollar amount. And then suddenly I start having this emotional reaction to that because of how I was when I was first married. I have to be aware of that before I make a decision or react. But so that's probably the, you know, what I've learned the most about people and really realizing that it's okay to incorporate at least to a degree that emotion into their financial decisions. So for me, what I've had to learn working with people and their money, and I think what's important for individuals to learn when they're dealing with their own money situation is what their emotional trigger points are, what their, you know, values are and whatnot. Kind of going back to what I was saying that with my bike, I might um, sacrifice a little bit less, and then in other areas, I'll sacrifice a little bit more. So everyone comes from a different background. Everyone has different emotional trigger points and whatnot. And it's impossible to just put those in a jar and cast them aside and then make textbook decisions or whatever. Make the best decision based on the facts. Sometimes I think, especially with money, we think we should be acting that way, or we just ignore the emotions or suppress them, push them down, whatever, um, in order to be a little bit, uh, I don't know, it, it seems more responsible, but I'm not sure that it is. I, 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 Yeah. And so I appreciate how you're saying you can't really separate those emotions. And so but under the best of circumstances, what can our emotions teach us about that decision-making poss- you know, possibilities? Well, under the best of circumstances, I think we have the self-awareness of how much of this decision is based on emotion and is that emotion really logical or is it illogical? Because emotions can be on either side of that spectrum. Absolutely. They can be an indication of your values and and what you think is right or wrong. And they can also just be completely irrational and just your brain sort of creating a a feeling that just to protect you. Yeah, that's really well said because I get emotional when I think about my values, right? But that's good. Like I want to be driven by those values. But I also get emotional if I haven't eaten recently or slept (laughs) very well or whatever, right? And we got to acknowledge that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And But we have to be aware of it. We have to be aware of, okay, am I making this decision based on emotions that are on the right side of that spectrum, that are based on values and something, you know, principles that a week from now or a month from now or a year from now, I'm going to be able to look back and still see kind of the the logic or the value of that? Or is it just that I woke up on the wrong side of the bed today? Or I've been scrolling through social media and I'm having a little bit of the case of like, 
comparative, you know, whatever. Ooh, yeah. Where I'm seeing that everyone else is doing this, and or it seems like everyone else is wearing these types of shoes or whatever. Yeah. And that's going to play on my emotions and make me feel like I need to do that. Just, you know, and if everyone else is doing it, then maybe I feel more justified in doing it as well. Because if they're all doing it, then it shouldn't be that big of a deal yeah, for me to do it. status quo now, right? Yeah. Without really realizing, okay, well, I don't know what their financial situation is. Maybe they're making bad decisions right. and I don't want to emulate that. So if we can really be aware of whether those emotions are on the right side or the wrong side of the spectrum, then it just allows us to take a step back and say, okay, let me just, if nothing else, let me hit the pause button Mm -hmm. on this decision and sleep on it for a day or two. And if it's still really kind of chewing at my head or really just feels like something of value, then okay, maybe I move forward on it. But oftentimes for me, at least two or three days later, it's not even rattling around in my head anymore, you know? And so then I kind of avoided potentially a mistake financially, or at least an unnecessary financial decision just because I let it breathe. Yeah, just a a little bit of pause can have such a big impact. I'm wondering, you mentioned a little bit before with your your wife and how it's it's really great that you're both financially responsible people. What is that negotiation process, though, like for you when you're trying to, when one person wants, has gone through, you know, kind of the process of like, I'd like to spend the money on this or do this or save for that, whatever the financial question is. And how do you negotiate that with another person? So that's like the trick in a marriage, right? I mean, that's why finance so. is, is like the number one reason for divorce or at least really, really high up there. Um, it's funny because my in-laws have this joke and I think it's a joke, but I'm not 100% sure that it's <laughs> okay. a joke, but they call it the 3750 rule. And I don't know where they came up with that number, but any they can both spend whatever they want as long as it's below thirty seven dollars and fifty cents. Thirty seven and fifty. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. I we used to have a hundred dollars, uh-huh. like kind of in there, like yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think it's less about the actual dollar amount and just the principle, right? But yeah. it's just so funny because they'll mention that still to this day. Thirty seven fifty rule. And, Do they uh, ever account for inflation? I mean, come on. Yeah, I know this is an outdated number for sure. Yeah. But the idea is interesting that you can have a conversation with your spouse. And come to some agreement either that, you know, dollar amount purchases or purchases below a certain dollar amount, we both feel empowered to to do. But above a certain dollar amount, we should do each other the benefit and the favor of having that conversation. And my wife and I took it actually a step further than that based on some advice from a financial advisor colleague who's a really good friend, uh, just a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal guy. And he talked about this idea, you know, Going back to your question about working with different people yeah. and seeing their different philosophies and whatnot. And and I work with people who keep everything totally separate financially. Mm. And that, for me, that's never, that didn't really seem like a partnership or a union, mm-hmm. right? It just seemed a little bit too cold and calculated. Not that I'm saying it's wrong, because if it works for people, then that's what's most important. And then you see people who keep everything totally combined. And that's how my wife and I were at first. And the problem with that is that to some degree, you're then both competing for the same dollars in that same account, right? So there's benefits, obviously, to having a joint account, and that's generally what people do. But we discovered that there was also benefit in having our own individual accounts 
that were just for sort of things that we maybe didn't necessarily need to talk to each other about. And so we actually ended up doing that where we had one main joint account set up that, you know, paid all the bills and did all the stuff that were really Mm -hmm. joint expenses. And then every single week on Monday from that joint account, it would automatically transfer a set amount, you know, X amount for me and 3X for my wife or whatever. Okay. Uh, And it would go into our individual checking accounts. And that was such a phenomenal uh, change because suddenly instead of – think of being married to a financial advisor. Like you feel like that's that's not a good (laughs) game plan for most people. I would assume that you would feel this pressure to account for every penny. Yeah, exactly right. Or that – you know, didn't you know that it would be cheaper to buy this at yeah, this exactly store? Yeah, exactly right. I don't, and, and that's probably a horrible assumption that I'm making. But. Well, well, either that or the idea of, oh, well, my spouse is a financial advisor, so they're taking care of everything. Oh, yeah, I, I don't, don't have don't to, need worry to worry about, about, oh, about anything, Oh, I didn't think right? of that, yeah. So anyway, it was really nice because having, for both of us to have our own little accounts, and we knew a certain amount would get replenished every single week, we then became 100% responsible for that portion of money for that portion of time, just a one week period of time. And then every Monday we would know, you know, if we kind of blew through it by Wednesday or Thursday, it wasn't like a month long budget where if you blow through it by the 15th, you have to Mm, eat bread and water for two weeks or whatever, right? It was like, oh, well, I guess I can't really do what I maybe want to do this weekend, but Mm -hmm. on Monday it is replenished. And the great thing, particularly for my wife, A, she, she knew that anything she spent from any money she had in there, she could spend however she wanted. And she knew that whatever money went in there, I wouldn't be spending. So in the joint account, exactly. In the joint account before, it was kind of like, well, I need to spend that dollar before Kyle spends that dollar. And if we both spent the same dollar, then we're in the overdraft or whatever, right? Where this way, it empowered her to say, this is really my money. I'm responsible for it. If I want to spend it all, I can. I don't have to feel guilty or, you know, whatever, have a conversation. And at the same time, if I don't spend all that money... I'm kind of incentivized to not spend it because it stays there. And then the next Monday, another chunk comes in and she could, over the course of a couple of weeks, build up kind of a nice little amount that she could then go splurge and do something with that in the past would be something we would have to talk about. Oh, sure. Because of how maybe expensive it was. But because she had just been disciplined with her own money, knowing that I wasn't going to be spending any of that money. It allowed her to then really feel empowered to, hey, I'm going to just save 20 bucks a week out of this weekly allowance or whatever that we have. And then in a couple of weeks or in a month or two, I can go get this new dress or this new pair of shoes, whatever, and I don't even have to worry about it. And I didn't myself have to worry about it, right? So that was a really nice blend of still having the joint account, still having these larger ticket items like doing a project around the house Mm -hmm. or whatever that required us to have a conversation and really figure out what the best thing was while also giving us these little sort of fun money accounts. If I wanted to buy something for the bike or go golfing or whatever, I didn't have to feel guilty that, or we didn't have to feel like, okay, well, there's one fun activity for Kyle. So now there has to be one activity. So now I have to do that. Yeah, that sort of trying to make it fair and and create it. And it also seems like you've, just it's so much more freedom to be able to make your own decisions and not have to come together on everything and feel that 
sort of ask permission yeah. from each Which other. I, I never that. wanted that from I, my wife. I, I didn't want that when I was married. Like, can I buy this? Can I exactly have that? Exactly right. And I was the saver and the planner and all that. And I always felt bad if Christopher was like, can I buy it? Can, do we have enough money for this or that? Or And so coming up with a system... Like that, yeah, where you can save, where you say, I want to spend my money on this, but not that. Those are sort of self-nurturing questions, I think, that that if you have a partner that you can set that up to really bring that out in each other. I It doesn't just help yourself. It helps the relationship. I invited Lindsay in for our discussion because I've watched her over the years adjust from slim times to really full times, joblessness to thriving businesses and back again and again, and through it all, raised seven kids and nothing seemed to face her financially. So I'm really intrigued by that. And I invited Heather to speak because she seems to have a different life experience. And I didn't know much about her childhood attitudes with money before this conversation, but she always seems to have it together, right? The kind of person that dresses really well. In fact, I've started taking pictures of her outfits at work because they're so darling. It sounds weird. It's not. I might start an Instagram account about it. Anyway, I digress. But she just is the kind of person that you look at and think, yeah, she's got it together. And I wonder how she does it. So I I wanted to find out how they both are so good and calm with finances. So I sat down and asked them. You know, doing this series on self-care, we talk a lot about how, hey, it doesn't need to cost money. And that's true. There are things that you can do, obviously, to take care of yourself that don't cost money. But not having any money yeah. <laughs> makes it hard to even do those free things. Yeah. Because you're working or you're stressed out. Do you, you know, it affects it. It's not like you can just say, just go for a walk, even though you'd like to, you know, go on a vacation. Yeah. Or, like those things are, there's a very big divide. Yeah. You know, in my childhood, it was interesting because there was a line of demarcation. Um, during my mom's second marriage, they were able to put her into an associate's program and she got her nursing degree. And so when I was about in fourth or fifth grade, suddenly there was another income. And that started to make changes. And eventually my mom made enough money um, that she was able to divorce her second husband. He was a recovering alcoholic and he was not great for us. Um, and uh, it provided all this freedom, her having this salary. And, and money can be so emotional. It can be really emotionally charged. It's like food. I mean, totally. You know, you can spend because it feels, it feels good. It feels good to spend. It feels good to get that Amazon package on your doorstep. Um, and so it can, if you're, if you're, not careful, it can just intertwine into emotions and oh, hundred um, percent. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Money is emotional, and so if we ignore it or we don't take care of it, we're not taking care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how has money or finances, just in general, affected your happiness? Well, Lisa, um, yes, you're my sister-in-law. You know me well. You know, I think what is maybe interesting or different about me is that. So I have seven children. And so you would think I would have a lot of stress about money, you know, like providing for all those kids and when they were babies and what the future holds. But for some reason, and I honestly don't know why, I have never worried about money. So it's so funny to talk about finances today because I never, never. In fact, I have a story for you. Please. (laughs) When I was in labor with my sixth child, um, I remember that day thinking, I want to shake tonight at the hospital after I have this baby. Oh, absolutely. So I got on my, you know, 
bank. And I, we had $26. This was, I was in labor with my sixth child. We had $26, not just in our checking mm-hmm. savings. That was our total money for our whole family. Wow. And we were going through some rough times. We've had so many ups and downs. And it was like, oh, okay. Well, then I think I could get a shake. I could maybe get a sandwich too, you know, like tonight <laughs> it'll work. <laughs> I just didn't worry about it. I just knew well, it'll work out. Something will happen. And so I don't and know. And did it? Yeah. It's always worked out. It's I've never, I've never worried about it. I don't know why. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because maybe it seems a little um, like I'm not thinking through things, but I just, I, I have made some conscious decisions lately to not allow me to feel guilty or shame about spending money. I'm not a huge spender, but it's like... No, you don't seem like you're a huge spender uh, from what I know about you, which I've <laughs> known you for a really long time too. Your kids have always been very well taken care of and they're really happy. Yeah. And um, I don't relate right? to not worrying about it because... It's kind of weird. I know. I, no, just uh, I think I have error on the other side, which I don't recommend and I don't think it's healthy of just like always kind of being worried about it. Yeah. Which is normal. normal. No, that's but very no normal. matter how much I have, or do you know what I mean? Oh, and that's changed. the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and when that starts to affect how you feel about yourself or how you function, like in daily life, then it might be out of proportion. So can you not relax when you feel like, okay, my finances are in order. I have this much spending money. I used, you still I'm getting worried? a little bit better, but I used to be obsessively like checking. Like when you say call the bank, I'm like, oh, I know. Like yeah. back in the olden days when yeah. the kids were little, um, my, I thought I could figure this out. I can crack the code, you right. know, and I can budget and I can like clip coupons. And that used to be like a really big thing. And now there's apps and all that kind of stuff. But I did the thing of, I knew what day to buy what item at the grocery store. And I knew that if there was a case lot sale at this grocery store that you stock up on this. And then I knew that you'd never paid more than $1.66 per pound for chicken. (laughs) Like I still have these numbers in my head, even though now if I'm like, oh, I forgot that, you know, item, I'm going to go to the store. I never would have done that before, Mm -hmm. like years ago. So it has taken me, even though I can, I can afford to spend $2 and 33 cents a pound yeah. of chicken. Like, like, yeah, like, yeah, you made it. You, guys, I made it. <laughs> you know, like or buying like prepackaged dinners or things like that or ordering pizza was like a huge deal. And I recognize the privilege that I have now mm-hmm. and even the privilege I had then because my kids were never going to starve. Like, do you know what I mean? I yeah. had family and that support system that a lot of people don't have. So I knew that there was that underlying safety net. But I did find myself like I was kind of saying in the beginning, going back to like checking to see how much I had in my savings account. How much did we have in our checking? And um, balancing the checkbook and then calling, did this check go through? Did this go through? And I have to send the bill on this date. And then, then when this comes and what can I do for money on the side to pay for this or that or the other? And I've been recently looking at plasma. Can I tell you? Please. Because I have this, we have this crazy mortgage now because we recently bought in this market. And I'm like, plasma, now how many times can I do that a week? And how much will that get me? And I've never been in this situation in my life. Even when I was living, you know, literally paycheck to paycheck, it was, I never thought that way. And it's interesting to be here. You know, having been there and then to be like, kids, we're ordering pizza tonight. Like we could order pizza two nights in a row. It seems like 
I have all the money in the world, even though I really don't. Right. (laughs) Well, I'm just curious, like if you, if most people go to worst case scenario, like if you're, if you're so stressed, are you thinking, honestly, I don't know how we'll pay our mortgage. We'll have to move. I'm where, where is your mind going? Because maybe that's why I haven't worried is like, I would think, yeah, maybe we'll move to an apartment with one room and all the kids will be in one room. And but you're smiling when fun. you're saying that. Right, like, <laughs> like, I don't get this. I think jumping to worst case scenario is just <laughs> oh, like, I mean, yeah. what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think I don't that's know. what I would, or what I did to like calm down of like, right. you know, if we need to borrow money, we could. If we needed to go to overdraft or put something on the credit card, of course we could. That's true. That I, kind of I stuff. do think there is though a certain shame. There's a lot of social shame that comes with having to say, I need help in our sure. culture. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. And it is really great that we have family that can help out. But I know for some people, even family, it's embarrassing to have to say, I'm in over my head. And then, of course, when you say self-care, I think of my mother after her divorce, her second divorce, where she just bought clothes and clothes and clothes. They had lived so tightly and he was very controlling. And then she had this ability suddenly to just go and treat herself. And I can remember that closet that she had in her bedroom just filling up with clothes. And she started dating almost immediately. So um, she was having the time of her life. She needed a new wardrobe. She she needed a new (laughs) wardrobe and she needed new (laughs) shoes. And yeah, so she was out and about living her life and uh, was like, huh, where's mom now? Um, You know, we had to get a call occasionally. Like, I'm in New York. We decided to come up to the city you know, she just went and did her thing. We were 14. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> and and the finances affected that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in For fact, sure. that's when wow. we started buying our own groceries because we just didn't see her very often. And so we got jobs and started buying our own groceries and taking care of ourselves. At 14. That's, it, it's so fascinating how that informs then how you sort of see money and spending money in a different way. Where, whether When you see it for yourself, when you see it for using it for others. So I'm wondering, are there things that you have spent money on in the past that you regret? Or clothes. So many clothes. Really? <laughs> you can't regret it, though. You look so adorable. Um, and I thank you for saying that. Um, but, yeah, like, there are times, like, we recently made this move, and, you know, we're in this market to buy a house, and literally in my head was... Yeah, there were all those velvet pants you probably didn't need. <laughs> uh, velvet. Yeah. Ooh, I know. The regret I of the velvet pants. Maybe I'll wear them tomorrow. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking right now, I'm in this new phase of life. So I have, you know, a full school day with no one home. And and I've kind of heard of these the self-care talk. But in my mind, it was like, finally, I can have time to just like get in the shower and get yeah. ready and not just walk around in, you know, my workout clothes or my pajamas or sweats because I'm just on the go. And how nice will that be? And I'm going to actually have a clean house for once. Like I've never had a clean house. And in my mind, it's like, this is self-care. This is going to feel so good. I'm oh, that's have my definition of self-care. Outfits on. Yeah. My house is going to be clean. My house is going to actually smell good. I'm going to light a candle. I'm going to actually do the dishes. Like this is going to, I'm going to feel like a new person. I'm not going to have this chaos in my life. So I've had a couple of months now and I've been doing that. And it's been terrible. <laughs> it's Why? been terrible because I'm like thinking I'm caring for myself and 
it, I don't know. It doesn't feel like care. I've been buying clothes online. Like I've never done that. I, I've just been, yeah, maybe spending more money mm-hmm. on myself. Mm-hmm. I went and got a facial for the first time. It was great. I got my nails done for a while. It was great. But I don't know. Like, so only in the last couple of weeks, I've kind of been like, this is not fun. I don't yeah. feel fulfilled. So spending that money and having that time didn't meet that expectation. Not for me. Not for me at all. So this is my conclusion now. It may change tomorrow, but I feel the most self-care when I put myself in fulfilling moments throughout the day, whether that's having great conversations with friends. Uh, I read books in the library at the school and I love doing that. Um, Just being out, like being here today, just being out in the world and talking to people and feeling fulfilled, talking to my kids, talking to my husband. I have to put that as my number one priority. What does it take to really nurture yourself, to fill yourself up so that you feel, you feel yourself and it's we, different we, for everyone. Well, yeah. And, and I think that we have a conversation about taking time for yourself and face masks. We always joke about <laughs> it's not face masks and bath bombs, you know, although if you love those things, that's great. It's not a about the stuff, but it's about, are your values aligned with your life? Do you feel fulfilled? And, and for me, um, it, you know, it was the same thing. Like if I'm working hard and my values, um, are aligned with how I'm living, then I feel like I'm really honoring myself and that's self-care. Everyone has an emotion tied to their finances. And I think it's so interesting that a lot of the biggest insights about money are in hindsight. It's easy to have these conversations looking back. You know, a lot of us have personal symbolism about money for different things, but we don't really realize it in the moment. So for Heather's mom, it meant freedom. And for Heather, more money meant that she could eat well as a teenager. And for Lindsay, her fulfillment ideals, her dreams fell flat because they weren't aligned with her values. And for Kyle, the symbolism of money uh, means biking and recreation and security. Money is a symbol for something bigger for all of us. And there's no real right or wrong symbol. It has to do with a lot of our past experiences and our attitudes and our values. But when we align our decisions with our values, that's when we can really take care of ourselves financially. The Lisa Show is a production of BYU Radio. It's hosted by Lisa Valentine-Clark and produced by McKay Menden and Becca Hurley with help from Michael Combs, Tabitha Freitas, and Kaya Dibb with music and post-production by Sam Clausen. If you like the show, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you have questions for the Council of Moms or want to get in touch with us, please reach out on Instagram or Facebook.